Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, I chat to athletes, coaches, and industry professionals about their sporting journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Guests range from Olympians to the everyday lover of sport, but the message stays the same. There is so much more to sport than what meets the eye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'd love to hear from you. I can't believe it's almost a year since I started this podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure to share the journeys and lessons that each one of our incredible guests have had through sport. I am beyond grateful to each one of you who tune in week after week. It's been amazing to connect with you over Instagram and see the community grow. To celebrate the lead up of the podcast turning one, there's a special giveaway running this month, September 2021. We are giving away a limited edition Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart mug so that you can enjoy your cup of coffee or tea whilst you listen to the podcast. All you have to do is open up the Apple podcast app That's the purple one with the white logo. Go to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. Scroll on down to the ratings and review section and leave a review. Make sure you screenshot and send it to me via Instagram or Facebook so I can enter you into the draw. A review with just the stars will be worth one entry and if you write a comment, you'll get two entries. Entries close at the end of the month and the winner will be contacted by Sunday the 3rd of October. For those of you who are listening on Spotify or another podcast platform, don't worry, you haven't missed out. There's something coming for you next month. Today, we are joined by an absolute ray of sunshine, Alana Withnall. Lani started off having a dream of competing at the Olympics after being inspired by Kathy Freeman at the 2000 Sydney Olympics. That dream drove her to be involved in three sports at a professional level, starting off in athletics and representing Australia in the heptathlon before transitioning over to the bobsled and then rugby sevens before making her way back to her first love of athletics. Lani is a huge advocate for how amazing sport can be for people and takes us through the incredible journey and major injuries that have led her to where she is now. Before we get started, I'll leave you with the words of Lani. Live a little more boldly, dream a little more daringly and shine your light a little more brightly. And I hope this chat does exactly that for you. So can you tell us about your sport and how you got into it? I know you've done three at the highest level, so all three of them. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Well, I guess first and foremost, my first love. And um, as my career's sort of gone full circle now, I'm back to doing that one. Um, So athletics, track and field. I started uh, running, doing all the events at Old Bar Little Athletics Club which is a small country coastal town on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. And yeah, I guess I was that kid that um, did all the sports on the weekends. Uh, Mum and dad, big ups to them for driving me around the country for um, everything from, yeah, the little A's to ballet to uh, soccer, netball. Um, we did them all. So I was definitely a sporty kid, had some variety there. But Little A's was the one that stuck and I suppose the one that I had most success in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I won my first zone Little A's in the 60 metre hurdles or something when I was in the mighty under nines. And I was like, <laughs> I love the feeling of running fast. Um, 
So then I got my first coach when I was eight and um, which was pretty exciting. And, um, you know, they taught me all about things like the importance of warming up, drills, warming down, stretching and fundamentals of athletics as you'd per se. <laughs> so yeah, then I had a um, bit of success in little A's, you know, you'd go to your zone, your regional, your state. I think they extended the age groups until under 17s even. So I did uh, little A's until I was under 17. And during that time, I think when you're 12 or 13, you have the opportunity to then try big A's or um, Athletics New South Wales competitions that allow you the opportunity to compete more and um, more often mm. and across sort of, I guess, harder levels, like everyone trains. It's not just your school athletics competition. Uh, so then I had to join Foster Athletics Club for that one because Old Bar was too small <laughs> with its 20 members um, <laughs> to allow me to compete further. Yeah, and we'd, and we'd drive to Sydney, goodness me, at least half a dozen times a year for all those competitions. Through all my injuries, there's been a few um, ups and downs. I've had the honour of representing New South Wales, I think, 21 times um, oh at a national gosh. level. <laughs> yeah so that's yeah that's been fun going to Sydney and around around the country oh gosh we've even we've been to Tassie been to Perth for nationals certainly Lakeside Stadium in Melbourne quite a few times yeah and um I'd love those trips away with mum and dad sometimes we'd catch the train even to Sydney which was five hours from Tarare <laughs> to Sydney um just so mum didn't have to sit in the car and compete but uh, yeah, it was, it was my, I guess, first love and I always knew I'd go back to it. Yeah, I earned the honour of representing Australia the first time for athletics in the heptathlon, which is the seven eventer. I guess for those who don't know, the 100 metre hurdles, the high jump, the shot put, the javelin, the 200 metres, uh, the 800 metres and what am I missing? Shot put, high jump, long jump, 200, 800. Yeah, that's the all. Seven. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I was able to go to the Oceania uh, Pacific Championships for those twice, which was really cool and sort of gives you a taste of the international competition experience. Um, prior to the Rio 2016 Olympics, where I was hoping to make the team for the heptathlon, I um, went into it with a stress fracture in my lower L4, L5. And uh, as you do, trialing for the Olympics, you train through it, <laughs> you, um, you compete through it no matter the pain. And very silly as I am, ended up fracturing my back, um, breaking my back during the second throw of the javelin at those championships, which is the second last event of the uh, yeah, it didn't end up um, being named on the team. We were taken off the field in a stretcher instead, you know, which is, I guess, things happen for a reason and mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah. It took sort of six months to be cleared for sport again after that, um, to learn how to run again, to have the strength. I'm being told I always have to have a strong core now or I will be um, in a back brace for the rest of my life. So it's a good reason to have abs, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was there though. I, I was actually training alongside um, Yana Pittman of all people at the time. And she said to me at training one day, Lani, would you be interested 
in being my bobsled pilot for the 2018 Pingong Chang Winter Olympics. Oh my God. uh, (laughs) Yeah, when Joanna Pittman asks you to, you know, train with her for the bobsled, you go to Canada with two weeks notice and had to get a fourth job waitressing at the time because I was a poor uni student um, to afford the flights. But we made it happen. Uh, Next thing I knew, I was, yeah, driving a bobsled down ice with speeds up to like 140, 50 kilometres per hour. So (laughs) that was pretty cool. I always say I'd love to live my life with more wows than what ifs. So I think when you're presented (laughs) with an opportunity like that, you just go, yeah, sure, when? And that was an awesome experience. Um, I'd never seen snow before to start with. So it was, I was that crazy, um, that crazy Aussie girl at the training camp when all the other countries were like, why is she like spinning around in the snow? Um, and uh, yeah, I was very excited to be there. Um, my cool runnings journey. Uh, and I did meet the Jamaican bobsled team, uh, which was very cool. That is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, they certainly had enough of the lucky egg jokes by the end of it, but um, they were were really cool. And I think that's something I love about sport is that it connects so many people from all different varying backgrounds, cultures, you know, areas of the world, religion, language, no matter what, with one common goal. Mm -hmm. And so I love, you know, now that I have friends in, in Japan, in the Virgin Islands, the US, China, from this bobsled world so that was very cool but unfortunately during one training run on the ice is where my bobsled tree took a sharp turn literally and I almost died oh (laughs) yeah so (laughs) bobsledding um involves g-force so literally it's a lot of force going through your body experiencing that speed concentration because if you take your hands off the d-ring which is like the steering wheel you can easily spin out and crash the thing or it just flips upside down um so it takes its toll on your body it takes your toll on your mind i learned to nap a lot during the day so that we could slide in the morning and then slide in the evenings as well so this was my first sort of double day of sliding in the mornings gym in the afternoon and then sliding in the evening so yeah, it was a lot of my body. I was probably a little bit too fatigued um, to be going back down the ice, but there we were trying to impress the international coaches. Fortunately, I say everything happens for a reason. And uh, I know this is definitely for a reason. I didn't have a passenger with me um, this time. So I was just driving a mono bob, which is just like a single person bobsled. Um, so I didn't have Yana on the back or anything because that's a lot of weight on your shoulders to be mm, <laughs> looking yeah. after them and while you're looking after yourself in an extreme sport. It's a lot of trust. Um, this time was just me, myself and the sled. And I think it was my third run of the night from the top of the mountain. As I was driving the flap of my motorcycle helmet that you wear, it blew up oh, completely. No. So trying to put it back down while I'm driving while I'm concentrating not trying to miss a turn um but also having both hands on the d-ring very distracting mm-hmm. and unfortunately my eyes are just watering 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 because you're going like 120 130 and the air is just you know it's cold it's all happening at once so unfortunately I oversteered a turn and um the g-force kind of pulls you in 
and you just lose control of this sled. And upside down I went. So now I'm going upside down, bobsled, 120 kilometers an hour, hit my head on one side, oh. hit my head on the sled, hit my head on the ice. So I'm kind of concussed at this point. Mm-hmm. Then something told me to tuck my head in. So I just sort of gave in to control. I wasn't trying to flip it back anymore, which was what I was trying to do before. I was just like, right, just give in. I'm going to ride this all the way down the bottom, upside down. And I made it to the finish line concussed, but in one piece. Oh my gosh. You know, all the medics were around me. They were like, thank God you tucked your head in when you did Lani or you would have decapitated yourself on the next turn. Oh my gosh. Yeah, oh, that's traumatic. So, I know, right? And, um, you know, I don't know if you're a prayer, but I was certainly praying and I truly believe that was a miracle that, you know, God was telling me to tuck my head in when I did and that I made it to the end in one piece and that I'm telling this story today. Mm. Um, yeah, but safe to say my bobsled career um, took a swift retirement after that one. <laughs> I remember being on the phone to mum in a hospital, in a Canadian hospital in Calgary somewhere, not knowing where I was, like still concussed, still out of it, getting CT scans done. And she's like, Alana Withrow, you are not going back in that sled. And I was like, okay, mum, like, yeah, I get the message loud and clear. Like, yes. So yeah, we decided then and there, although I was chasing, you know, this elusive Olympic dream that I've had since watching Kathy Freeman win the 2000 Olympics when I was a seven-year-old little girl. You know, that's when I decided that's what I want to do with my life. And a lot of people would have probably given in, give it up then. But mm-hmm. I think I was like, right, not bobsled. <laughs> that's fine. So after the bobsled, after I recovered from that injury <laughs> and the concussion and Um, got cleared again. I was then scouted for a rugby sevens team of all things. So this was now after the 2016 Olympics. So it had all been, yeah, watched, you know, all my mates over there winning medals, which was so exciting and inspiring and reinstilled the flame in me that was like, yep, I want to be with them at the next one. Yep. Yeah, I went to a sort of development day where they do all these kinds of testing. You know, they test your strength, your speed, your agility. And they were scouting girls for the 2020 Olympics um, to be a part of the sevens team. And having no experience whatsoever in a contact sport, let alone a ball sport to that level, (laughs) (laughs) I had to learn how to pass very quickly. Um, I remember getting this ball called a roughy ball that has a flat side. So it's like a footy with a flat side. So you could pass it to the wall and it Mm. returned to you. So I remember doing my hundred passes each side every day against the wall of the house, just so I wasn't so terrible (laughs) at passing the ball to the girls in the field. But fortunately I gave that one a good four years um, shot. I had the honor of representing in a few development teams But then prior to selection for the Olympics, that was due to go ahead last year, because obviously 2020 in a pre-COVID world, (laughs) I um, unfortunately had a season ending concussion again, as you do, Mm -hmm. at um, 
one of our competitions leading up to the national series. So again, I was ruled out of national selection for the Olympics this time in the sevens. So as you do when you're sort of concussed and have nothing to do, I'm not very good at sitting still. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is where I was like, right, like what can we train? What can we train for now? The athletic season was almost over. They'd done their Olympic selection. They were almost over. It was before COVID, 2019. I was like, oh, I'm going to enter that Ninja Warrior competition. <laughs> so as you do, you send in your audition tape, you answer a million and one questions. And next minute, I found myself on national television <laughs> for Ninja Warrior. And like, I was just a footy chick at this stage. Um, you know, I had to change my body completely from the heptathlon to really muscle up for footy. So I was a good like 30, 20 kilos heavier than most females on the course. <laughs> That's okay. As we say, we gave it a red hot go and that's all you can do. Yeah, it was very fun watching yourself fall in water on national television. So <laughs> safe to say that was a great experience ticked off the list, but I don't think you'll see me uh, rock climbing or ninjing probably anytime soon. <laughs> um, yeah, so then I guess COVID hit um, 2020 now. And for the first time since World War II, the Olympics are postponed. Yeah, I had this real calling, I guess, to go back to my first love, which was athletics. Um, although I can't compete in the heptathlon anymore um, due to my back, which still gives me a few issues. I still get sciatica on and off, which is a little bit debilitating, but you just kind of work your training around around it and I thought you know gosh like what event am I going to do now always love running always love hurdling but my pet event outside the heptathlon was the triple jump mm -hmm. and um, that's what I guess I had most success in at a national level as a junior unfortunately had to compete against Brooke all the time <laughs> in that one she would always take out um, the triple, the hurdles and the long, the trio. Um, but yeah, so I decided, you know what, like, let's go back to triple jump. It was so much fun. It combines the elements of speed um, because speed plus power equals distance. Mm -hmm. uh, jump bar. And um, yeah, it was always just such a fun event for me. And since um, Linda Allen, we haven't had someone represent Australia internationally in the triple in a long time. So I thought, oh, this could be my shot. Uh, so fortunately, um, on the Central Coast, uh, there's some amazing jumps coaches. And I found myself training with um, Matt Horsnell, who happens to be Nicola McDermott's coach. And so, um, yeah, as you would have all heard, she's recently a silver Olympic medalist mm -hmm. as of last week, which, oh my goodness, you know, in the last two years, she's become um, such a special person in my life. So knowing the things she's overcome um, in her personal and professional life to get there is just, oh, it's so exciting. Like, gosh, I've been in tears the whole week, just so much joy for her and um and seeing her pop up everywhere as she deserves. The joy she gets from jumping certainly extends to how she trains as well. So joining that squad was like, um, it was like I was in Little A's again. It was like, um, you know, I was experiencing joy 
um, from simply being able to run and to jump like a kid mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. competing for recognition or you know accomplishment it was like no like I love sport and I'm here for a purpose when you take that pressure off and you just compete you know for me it's something greater than myself like I know now like I'm competing for for God and that's my faith that fuels me and it's why I'm still going but when you have fun with it it's like your body will thank you as well I think I've been in some very hostile training environments in the past in my past sports and in past coaches and athletics and taking it back now, it's like peeling the layers off and it's like, no, this is about fun first and foremost. And, you know, friendships and having the opportunity to run and jump pain-free and, you know, keep yourself fit and healthy is what it's all about. So yeah, two years later, we're a triple jumper. And, um, <laughs> I did fortunately make the um, Olympic trials this year to compete um, to hopefully buy for a spot on the 2021 Olympic team. Uh, But unfortunately, it just didn't happen this time. I didn't jump far enough and I didn't make that qualification jump. But that's okay. Um, I think my story doesn't end here and we'll be doing everything possible to get to Paris in 2024. Oh my gosh, what an incredible journey. Like. Just going back to the start of athletics and then going, okay, you know, you put your heart and soul into it for so long and then you were able to transition off to a different sport, completely different sport, (laughs) like an extreme winter sport. (laughs) And then off to football, like rugby sevens, which is like I'm thinking, okay, so the only thing in athletics that would transition off to rugby sevens is running. (laughs) Absolutely does. Oh, gosh. It's a whole different kind of fitness, let me tell you. I'm glad to not have to do burpees or shuttle runs ever again, which is good. (laughs) Yes. But then back to athletics, and that's what makes me so happy is you were able to make your way back to that first love. So I'm going to ask you a question, and it's going to be a double whammy. I'm going to go, what was the moment back at the start that you fell in love with with athletics, and then what was it? when you fell in love with it again in 2020? Mm, Yeah, sure. So back to, right back to the start, I think pre-little A's, because Mm -hmm. I think I joined in the under sevens and I think you can join in tiny tots, which is like baby, (laughs) baby age. So I think pre-little A's, um, I remember your school athletics carnivals and I went to a, um, a small school, like even smaller than a small school on an island called Oxley Island, which is really cool to say, to think about. Um, But it was like, you know, dairy farming area. You're very much in a regional country town. And there were two other kids in my year in kindergarten. So when you have a small, a school that small, um, it's called a two teacher school. So you have um, lower division, which is (laughs) kindergarten to year two. And then upper division, which is year three to year six. So there's two teachers for the whole school. And so they would just put lower division in sort of one race and one carnival, one cross country and upper division in the other. And I remember my very first race that I was competing because there was only boys in my year. And I remember running as fast as I could because I just wanted to beat the boys. (laughs) I did. (laughs) And 
I remember them accusing me of cheating, but I don't know how you can cheat running a straight line, but that's fine. That's fine. Whether they thought I cheated or not, at the end of the day, I still beat them. And I was like, oh, and I think that's where my competitiveness was instilled in me, <laughs> that I loved the thrill of it and the adrenaline and proving the odds is something I find joy in, um, you know, being the underdog and proving that, you know, with hard work, determination and drive, mm -hmm. um, you can come out on top. So I think that's where I was like, oh, we've found something here. I really love this. You know, fast forward 21, 22 years and finding myself back at the track. Honestly, there's so many things that made me fall back in love with it. I think it's first and foremost, the feeling mm -hmm. to me, like nothing feels greater than running fast. And, you know, the triple jump involves the elements of speed. So I do have a sprints coach and a jumps coach and seeing those little improvements on a stopwatch, like, you know, from sprint to sprint, if you're even 0.02 seconds faster, it's like, yes, you mm -hmm. know, um, there's that self-accomplishing feeling that you were able to push yourself that much more the next time round with whatever elements you focused on, whether it's your arms, your breathing, your core, um, you know, contracting your muscles faster. It's, it's very um, self-fulfilling. And there's that competitive streak again as well. I think I'm the most competitive person I know, but it does help. And, you know, wanting to get your own PB for yourself, whether it be in training or competition the next time round to prove to yourself that, you know, you're stronger than you know as well. So there's all those physical elements, but then there's also the friendships. I remember walking back to my first competition again, it was at Sydney Olympic Park. And, you know, I spent a good three, three or so years away from um, when I was doing the rugby from the athletics track there. And it was like, I was welcomed. I remember, um, you know, all these people I hadn't seen for a few years, um, old, young competitors, just acquaintances that even the officials were like, where have you been smiling? It's my nickname on the track. <laughs> and it was like, oh, like, like I'm home. Mm. And um, it's, it's the people that make the sport, you know, it's an individual sport. But I've learned at the end of the day, you get to choose your team in track and field, you know, in rugby and bobsled, you're, you're given your team. Whereas athletics, we have our squad, we have our, our, you know, coaches, but we also have our competitors that I count as part of that team, because I think it's kind of like saying, keep your friends close, your enemies closer. Whereas I like to keep my competitors close because they're going to teach you more about yourself than you can teach you if they're your fiercest rival. So you can only, yeah, look up to them with admiration and be like, what do I need to do in my training to be as good as them one day? So yeah, I think it's it's being home, it's the people and it's it's the process. So yeah, I've loved it. Oh, I really like that. And I can totally resonate with the finding your way back to the sport that you fell in love with. I know I took a little bit of a break away from swimming just when I started uni and I got into my, you know, late teens, early twenties. And I was like, Oh, I've got a life to live. And then I made my way back when I was about 20 ish. And I was only back a month and then I broke my elbow and I was like, Oh no, <laughs> now I can't swim. And no. 
and learning a similar to with you, you and your back learning how to appreciate the little things like you said being able to run like me being able to like bend my elbow so I could swim freestyle like something little like that I was like yes like I can do this and totally understand falling back in love with it but taking it back to that simple process not about being a competitor but also just improving on yourself and being grateful that you can do that sport Mm, oh absolutely and like for your whole life too like I love how growing up doing a sport like yourself would know it instills things in you that nothing else, no subject at school, um, no one else can teach you. And I think that's why it's so important. Um, I've got friends with young kids, like get them into sport because nothing will teach you, you know, the drive that you need to improve yourself for a physical thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever event, whatever avenue you go down but also the aspects of teamwork and working alongside Wildland, whether that's a coach or whether that's your competitor, it's like that will extend to the office one day in whatever profession you choose or whatever work environment you have. Like those skills teach you more, I think, than anything else could. So yeah, sport's amazing. (laughs) Oh, that's, you've just segued into one of the questions that I asked. (laughs) There you go. <laughs> and it's what other benefits sport has provided you as an individual that's transferred over to other avenues of your life? There you go. There you go. Ah, oh, well, yeah, that was a good summary. Just <laughs> no, honestly, I think it, it teaches you, yes, so many, so many factors. And I think a lot of people shy away from separating, you know, their passions or their hobbies, whether they're a professional athlete or not you know, on your resume from your professional experience. Whereas I found that sort of complements my work that I do. And I've been fortunate to have some very varying professions. Um, I, I'm a sports journalist by trade, um, went to uni and, and did my master's in that. So being in the media world, certainly sport helps understand, you know, when I'm interviewing athletes, I've been able to be in their shoes and that's given me the skills to ask the right questions, to be able to, you know, resonate with them and make me stand out in that way. Um, But then, you know, jobs like, oh gosh, being in a call centre or waitressing at a restaurant or most recently even my work as a barista, it's like the ability to multitask has no number. Whereas, you know, at one stage of my life, I was training for seven events and, you know, that was multitasking. <laughs> so the sport has such a great segue to professional life and, you know, one day life after sport, I think it can only complement your career in whatever direction you want to choose. Yeah, I think I'll always be an athlete in some form. <laughs> it's part of your identity now. Yeah, I just miss it too much. If I officially retire from professional sport, I'd love to say I'd be involved in master's athletics or, you know, coaching in some capacity because it's just, yeah, such a great part of your life. Yes, and saying that you'll be involved in coaching. So you are a qualified PT as well as a little ass coach. So how did you get into that? Oh, I suppose, uh, well, firstly, the Little Athletics Coaching, they're always after help at Old Bar Little Athletics Club from being such a small club. So I did a lot of volunteer coaching um, since I was 13, 14, 15, simply just explaining the drills that I learned from my coach outside of Little A's to the other kids and how they could improve, you know, that 1% to help get them a PB on comp night. Um, 
Yeah, and I really loved seeing those kids come back and say to me, you know, Miss Lani, I um I got a PB last week. Thanks for showing me those drills. And it, it's like really, it's almost as gratifying as your own self getting a PB. Mm-hmm. And then um yeah, so sports coaching was actually then a subject that I did uh, as part of my HSC, which was really cool. It was a vet course, like part of a TAFE course that you could do as a HSC subject. Was so, it vet sport and rec? Yeah, I think that was it. Yeah, yeah I did that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so cool. So cool. So we did it. Uh, it counted as part of your units for your HSC. That gave me my first job, you know, when I moved to Sydney as an 18-year-old straight out of school. I was coaching um, soccer at Loretto Normanhurst because I had that qualification and that experience. So, yeah, I've done it on and off ever since I left school, really, um, from coaching, yeah, girls' schools. I was coaching netball and then I decided to get my PT certification when I was at uni already studying. What was I studying then? Um, Sports business was my undergrad. So I then started to do my certificate three and four in fitness and that taught me a lot about myself too, um, <laughs> that uh, I got called a smiling assassin a lot because <laughs> I was that PT that would be like, you're doing great, only one more set and then another <laughs> set and then another set <laughs> after that. So um, oh, I had some beautiful clients in my personal training world and I do miss that and I do miss them all, but the, it ended up just interfering with my own training too much, you know, starting work at 5am and then you're not done at the track till 8.30pm. Like it's, it's a long day. It's mm-hmm. a long day. I sort of had to learn in the end that, yeah, I couldn't give people my best self and then expect my best self on the track. So I definitely love to go back to it one day. And I even have my own um, bootcamp business um, called EW Fierce Fitness, um, where I trained, uh, I trained a lot of women uh, that had young kids. So it was, you know, getting them out of the house and their kids could come as well. And then I moved into coaching um, rugby teams for speed and, and fitness too, um, most recently. So yeah, it's definitely something I think I'll always do as well, because once you've got this much, I guess, knowledge about something, I can't help but not share it with people. It's like, I don't want to keep all of this experience and these years involved in sport to myself. I just want to share it with, you know, as many coaches willing to listen or, you know, as many young guns that want to improve by that little bit to get a PB. Like I, yeah, love sharing and, and, and love coaching. Yeah. And knowledge is definitely power and being able to share that with other people. It's, you're not only helping that person, but you might be helping someone that then they help and pass that on to in the future. So that's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, one of my questions is like any significant milestones and you've been through a lot of them, but there's one that you didn't mention and that was um, accidentally kissing someone. Can you tell us that story? (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes, of course I can. Um, I wouldn't say this improved my athletic performance in any way I'd like to say it rubbed off on me a bit (laughs) um yeah look I accidentally kissed Usain Bolt (laughs) and um I know that sounds very surprising you know my goodness how do you accidentally kiss someone um (laughs) we wound up um at the same club when he was in Sydney I was living in Sydney at the time post the London 2012 Olympics and he was on a holiday to Australia He's good mates with John Stephenson, who um, I knew, you know, as an acquaintance from the athletics world. 
And I heard on social media that he was DJing at this club in King's Cross on like a random Tuesday night. So I was like, girls, we're going out. It's Tuesday, but it's Usain Bolt. We're going to hear him DJ. I'm like, okay, Lani, like, sure. And so his set was just finishing as we got there. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I haven't missed my opportunity. Like I just wanted to meet him, like get a selfie, shake his hand, like just, you know, in the same room as him, (laughs) as most track fans I'm sure uh, can resonate with. And yeah, I thought I'd missed my golden opportunity. So we then left very quickly after we got there, but I saw John Stephenson in like this alleyway. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, like, I know they know each other. So I was like, hey, John. And he's like, oh, hey, Lani, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, just came to hear, you know, Bolt DJ. Um, What are you doing? And he's like, hmm, let me introduce you to someone. <laughs> and next minute, he opens the door to this, like, stretch hummer. And there's his same Bolt. <laughs> I'm like, my friend's, like, filming this whole thing. I'm, like, speechless, like... You know, when you, you meet someone and you expect that you just be cool and eloquent and know all the things to say, I literally was like lost for words. And I don't think I've ever been speechless in my life. So this was new to me. And I think I just blurted out like, um, um I love you. And he was like, what? I was like, oh, sorry, my name's Lani. Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. And then we got chatting and then, you know, they sort of had to go their ways. My girls wanted to go home. So we were like, okay. And this is where it happened. <laughs> so, you know, when you go to hug someone and you go one way to kiss them on the cheek and they go the other way. Um, went the we same went the way. same way. <laughs> <laughs> and we accidentally kissed a little bit. And um, that's my ultimate claim to fame. And <laughs> I love telling that story. But um, yeah, we got a selfie in the stretch hummer to prove it. And yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool. That was uh, and the one that got away, you could say. Um, <laughs> no, I actually then um, ran into him again um, as I live on the Central Coast when he was playing for the Central Coast Mariners in the soccer. I went to his only home game because I think that was a very short-lived career for him as well. And he was going around, you know, signing autographs after the game. And I was like, Bolt, it's Larry. I met you once. And he was like, hey. And like, whether that meant he remembered me or not, we'll never know. But I like to think he did. Let's hope he did. <laughs> Let's hope he did. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, oh, that's, wow. that's that story. <laughs> what a story. How cool is that? When, when I saw that that happened, I was kind of like, oh no, like maybe it's not only me that's had a weird random story. Not that I ever kissed someone by accident, <laughs> but I remember um, one time in the pool, I was swimming in a meat warm-up and I don't know if you know much about swim meat warm-ups, but it's very, very, um, might be the same with track. It's like very congested. Like there's a lot of people in a very small amount of space. And I was swimming, don't know why, not a backstroker, but I was swimming backstroke. And I remember swimming backstroke and going under the lane rope and touching someone's bum, which happens commonly. And I was like, (laughs) oh, I wonder who, like, I wonder who I touched. Like, don't really know. So I had a little sneaky, like, look under the the lane rope at at who it was. And I saw like Olympic ring tattoos. And I was like, I touched an Olympian's bum (laughs) and this is when I was like 15 and I got so excited and it keeps popping up every year I can't remember when exactly it was maybe like October or something in my Facebook memories I touched an Olympian's bum because I made a Facebook status about it when I was 14 or 15. (laughs) Of course you did of course you did no claim that that's that's definitely claimable (laughs) 
<laughs> you go, girl. Yeah. Uh, but that was by accident. I didn't do that on purpose. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, first not. First not. <laughs> yeah, I think we all have these little stories that are our claim to fame. <laughs> yes. And mostly from awkward things. Yeah, I'm very, very clumsy, very awkward. So there's, there's plenty of them. <laughs> yes, same. Well, my next question, it might not be the lesson that Same Bolt taught you, but is there a lesson you've learned along the way that you want to share? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think a lot of people, when you share your dreams with someone or when you have a um, elusive goal like representing Australia at the Olympics, there's going to be a lot of doubters on your journey. There's going to be a lot of people that say, you know, you're not going to get there. Just retire now. Why put yourself through the pain again? Um, why waste your time? And I think you have to say to those doubters, like, I'm going to prove you wrong because no one but you has the power to dictate where your finish line lays. And, you know, I say that to a lot of people because I'm 28, a lot of people think, oh, that's very old to still be trying to make your first games. And I just want to say, no one has a responsibility but yourself to what you want to do with your future. And, you know, that can be as simple as going out and changing your career from, you know, an office job to childcare to be a teacher or something totally unrelated, which is what I did last year as well. <laughs> but yeah, I think a lot of people want you to do something easy because it's then it's then easier not to fail and out of good intentions, you know, it might be a relative, it might be mum, it might be parents saying that because they want to protect you, put cotton wool around you and, and see you live that conventional life that society expects of you. But, you know, I say to people like, as long as you are physically able and have the capacity and the drive, like anything is possible. And as long as you keep going and you authentically enjoy the process, your finish line is wherever you want it to be so I think don't give up it's it's not as far away as you think and hey there was a 37 year old gymnast a few weeks ago in uh, Tokyo so we've got a bit of time left we've got a bit of time left but never give up on yourself and your dreams as long as your body says yes convince your mind to as well <laughs> yes I like that and it goes for anything it's not just in sport it could be you know, you want to be a musician or you want to be a singer or you want to be a CEO of one of the top hundred companies. Is that what they're called? I'm not sure. <laughs> yes, I get you. But you could do whatever you set your mind to. And I know some people in my world will go, mm, Fee, I don't, I don't know if you can do that. And I like to look at them and be like, hm, watch me. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Like you're never too old. You're never too young and it's never too late. So yeah, keep going. Oh, that's a good quote, Lani. I'm going to quote you on that. I love it. Love it. Please quote away. <laughs> so you have your own business, which is relatively new, but COVID's being a little bit of a dampener. Your Coffee with Kindness is a mental wellness initiative. So every coffee is kind of served with a little quote or a little bit of inspiration. And I think that's such an amazing thing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I've got, um, <laughs> so funny, on this desk is my printing desk. Some of the labels here, I used to print my little stickers that go in each cup. So yeah, basically I loved coffee. I loved to share kindness and thought what better combination than caffeinating people with good vibes. Um, and yeah, that's something that, that has been, I guess, part of my ethos throughout, you know, whatever venture I've been going is um, I like to leave people 
better than when I found them. Um, to share, sort of um, radiate positivity, I guess. So Coffee with Kindness, I literally saw another business during COVID lockdown last year, I had a little coffee van and I was like to my partner, I want to do that one day when I retire. Like how cool would that be to drive around serving coffee? I think they were doing coffee and gelato. And he said to me, why wait, Lani? You know, why wait? And uh, oh gosh, he's my number one cheerleader, I swear. <laughs> he doesn't say, you know, why to any of my crazy ventures or dreams. <laughs> he just says, he just says, what next? So he's been such an integral um, supporter on each of my crazy journeys. And so from then, the very next day, I registered the business name Coffee with Kindness. <laughs> and I was like, right, because I needed, once I had that level of commitment, you know, paying for a donate, paying for a business name, I had to follow through with it, right? Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to let myself just have this idea and then think, what if? So then we had a bit of research to do and we looked at all the different ways you can um, start a coffee, a mobile cafe, as you would say. Um, so a lot of people did them out of vans, which are uh, about $200,000 from the get-go because, but it's everything that you have in the back of literally like a, a little van ready to go, decked out coffee machine, all of your bits. But my partner is quite inventive and loves to do things himself. So instead we bought a little $600 used um, furniture trailer <laughs> off Facebook marketplace and he learned how to um, do everything himself. He's not a carpenter, but I think he... <laughs> He certainly has enough experience to be qualified one now. So he's a sparky though. So we had um, we had that knowledge, fortunately, to be able to wire all the lights and things like that and the coffee machine itself. But he certainly wasn't a carpenter. And let's just say it was off to a very rocky start. <laughs> this is where my dad stepped in and fortunately offered his services. He's sort of like a mechanical engineer manufacturer by trade. Um, he actually makes the super software which is an Australian invention um, that my grandfather, Gordon Withnell, invented in 1974. Yeah, so that big machine that you see on the cricket soaking up all the water, mm -hmm. um, my granddad invented that. So there you go. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so, very cool, very cool. So, um, yeah, Dad's always been handy with his hands um, since working for Grandpa back in the days. And so him and Johnny literally for six months during lockdown built this coffee trailer for me <laughs> it was um labor of love a lot of um blood literally uh, it was a few trips to emergency <laughs> um, sweat and tears with that one but it was really cool to see the process ground up of literally building something and now in my driveway right now is this bright yellow and aqua coffee cart fully operational decked out in um little affirmations as the windows pop open so mm -hmm. when each customer that we serve is waiting for their order you can look up and be inspired by quotes and little smiley faces and yeah with the goal literally during lockdown especially to instill some joy into my little central coast community after the year we've had and each cup has its unique compliment so on these little yellow stickers um I think the last ones we had were you are valued you got this and you are important so Aww. yeah just a little touch um to help brighten someone's day that needs some caffeinating <laughs> I love that so much and one of my question is have you been involved in a project where sport has been used as a tool to develop the community and I guess I wanted to bring 
the coffee up because you take it to athletics carnivals and sporting events. So it is kind of, you are impacting the community through your business because they then, you know, it might be a rainy winter's day and you're like, Hey, here's a nice bright cup of coffee. And that will (laughs) lift someone's mood, but then they can flow on and lift someone else's mood. So yeah, like that, that is certainly something. Is Is there something else that you've used sport to develop the community? Absolutely. And it would have been my immediate community, but during when I was at uni during my undergrad, I actually had the opportunity to go to Cambodia and teach PDHPE to impoverished children. So that was, oh my goodness, still one of the best experiences in my life. And um, I think of those kids every day and just wish them well and hope they're safe and happy. But sport was essentially used as a tool of healing for them after they'd been exposed to sort of um, generational trauma after the Khmer Rouge and Pol Pot in genocide. So yeah, they they are a very, uh, I guess, destitute and impoverished community that we went to visit. But by teaching these kids like the simple tools of uh, like AFL, netball, what else do we do? Dance, which is one of my favorites, yoga, it was like an outlet to them because they don't have sport as part of their curriculum like we would in Australia. I know a lot of countries don't, which is so odd when mm. you think PE is essential from kindergarten. And so literally, even though there was a language barrier, um, I had the opportunity to learn basic Khmer, but <laughs> things like run, stop, catch, pass were, were all you needed to explain a game to them. And the joy these kids got out of simply exercising and playing in a way that they'd never played before. You know, they hooked onto soccer really fast. <laughs> they were big soccer fans. And it was it was just such an um, empowering thing to see that, you know, although I can't understand them real well, they can't understand me real well, but we had this one similar thing that was sport that was our our language and I think that's the most amazing thing too about the Olympics like no matter what's going on in people's lives from around the world like they come together for this one common goal that is sport so it was really cool to be part of that project and we get regular newsletters from their schools as my uni continued to um, donate to them in ways to help build up their community. They've now got like a soccer field on their oh school grounds, gosh. which is amazing. Um, and a playground with like such cool implements using the environment around them to allow them to play safely for something that was once a rubbish dump is now a fully functional community playground. And it's got, you know, ACPE Sydney Australia on there donated by, which is really cool. Yeah. And just to see the effect sport had on those kids' lives, I really hope that's something they then pass down to their families and their families' families. And it continues to become a universal language. Yes. Mm. Oh my gosh. I love that. And you did your undergrad in sport. Sport, was it sport business, sport management? Sport business, yeah. yeah. Sport business and management sort of a crossover, yeah. Yeah, so I did my I did my, did my Bachelor of Sport Development. So it's kind oh, of similar. Cool. And did you, yeah. you would have obviously learned about those kind of interventions <laughs> mm-hmm. and how, yes. like how sport can enrich someone's life. And it's not just the fact that 
you know, they've learned how to kick and pass a ball because that isn't the end goal there. It's all the other benefits. And I guess that's the reason why I wanted to start this podcast is to show that it's not just kicking and throwing a ball or jumping as far as you can, or it's that extra step that sport can do. I'm muddling all my words because I'm just like, I don't know what to say, but yeah, it's it's so much. I can see the passion. (laughs) (laughs) It's so much more than just that physical. It's the community benefits from it and then the generational benefits and you use sport to heal generational trauma and just something mm. like that is so incredible oh absolutely and that there's there's nothing like that like there, I don't think there's anything like that that is essentially free you know apart from the equipment mm-hmm. but like you know running is free like yoga is free like learning the skills that you need for the sport is accessible to anyone and I love that too I've had the opportunity to work with some um, special needs communities through my personal training work and you know, teaching my client that has cerebral palsy that has never been able to walk more than two steps, like simply passing a medicine ball and helping improve his core strength, you know, gave him more joy than he'd had that week and seeing those little gains, but also good for his health and good for, um, you know, improving his mobility, but also in seeing yourself improve week to week is is something you know and as children develop seeing their skill improve week to week in a sport like I don't think anything else provides that care I I I love sport and that it can you know be accessible to to anyone and modified basically um you know no matter what ability you have yeah just say how high and we can (laughs) we can hopefully provide something that that fits you and so you can be um involved for sure yeah yeah I love that and in saying that where do you see the future of sport oh look I think I'd love to see it continue to grow Grow past school PDHPE, you know, (laughs) grow past being a mandatory subject, especially in track and field, you see such a drop off from girls, especially after high school in the sport, because they're no longer doing it at school. They're no longer being driven by their parents to training each day. It's now a task rather than a hobby for them. And yeah, I just like to see the same enthusiasm that you have, you know, growing up playing you know Saturday sport for the rest of your life and hopefully there needs to be a sort of a sport pandemic (laughs) revival across across Australia but extending to um certainly after COVID and the importance of like I'm sure everyone is really missing the camaraderie and the um socialization that sport has whether you're involved in a team sport or not like it's such a important part of my life um so I'm sure a lot of other people can resonate with um how much they're missing it right now too so yeah I'd love to just see everyone give it a red hot go (laughs) and try something try something new too like that's what I loved through the process of ninja like it was it was something I'd never done before I'd never been rock climbing or swung from bars since I was a kid playing on monkey bars and doing it as an adult like was such a cool experience you know from week to week not being able to do a trick or land a jump and then you know working my muscles in particular areas to get stronger shoulders and then the next week I was able to get it it was like oh this is cool this is a great feeling yeah as long as you find your niche like I think sport should be there 
for all of your life, you know, as long as you're physically able and willing. Yeah, don't lose it. Don't lose the love for it. Yes, I like that. And I think it's super important and it's probably the national bodies of sport to make sure that yes, there's the development pathways to get to international levels. And I know we had one of the most successful Olympics in history. I think it was equal to Athens in terms of medal count, which is incredible after the year that all our athletes have gone through. But, but also I think what's equally as important is to put effort into keeping people in those sports, if that makes sense. Like, you don't want those girls to drop out when mm. they've finished high school you or you don't want those boys to drop out when they've you know got to their mid-20s you want to keep them involved and even if that's you know they're coaching they're umpiring they're doing something then they're still involved and it's I guess easier to make a comeback into that sport when they want to or when they're ready to and they realize actually 23 now I kind of do like I do like it I do miss it and then they can make that step back in and Yeah, I think there's Mm. been studies even done saying that kids who, I can't even quote them because I can't remember, it was two weeks ago I read it, but kids who do sport are more likely to continue onto that when they're adults. And like Mm. just even that is special. So we need to make that space so that adults can get back into sport. Those adults, I think most Australian kids now are involved. So, you know, our generation, the generation above us, the generation below us, they need that space to go back to it when they're an adult. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And sort of bridging that pathway sort of from grassroots as you're at primary school and high school to that 20 to 30 something gap. Like Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, there's a lot. Masters athletics is massive in Australia and we have, you know, so many masters athletes in, in my little club alone, but it's that, yeah, 20 to 30 gap just you know, creating an incentive to stick with it. And, um, you know, just because you didn't get to, you know, whether it be the Olympics or the international stage, like that's not what it's all about. Like find, find your reason why. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's the same with swimming. Like it was with that masters. Now that you've said it, there was masters were kind of like 35 plus in, in my local area. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of like 20. I don't want to swim with 30 year olds who all have Mm. kids and they have different lifestyles. I'm kind of closer to the 17 year olds, but they're all better than me and they're training for a goal and I'm going to rock up four times a week instead of 10. So yeah, we need that something for that 20 to 30 year old gap. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, well, Lani, thank you so much for coming on today. I really feel privileged to have you on and I like full because I've resonated with everything that you've said. It's been really amazing. Of course. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Fee. Like it's been so great reminiscing and (laughs) and sharing, sharing my passions with you. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top-level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.